the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And in this episode, we follow up the weirdness of Saltburn with the grimness of 2019's The Lodge, which is brought to you courtesy of the directing team of Veronica France and Severin Fiala. And before we get into the discussion, we have to inform you that there will be a trigger warning ahead of this episode due to discussions of suicide. So if this is something that you don't feel comfortable with, please feel free to turn off now and go and listen to one of our lighter episodes if that's what you prefer. Directors Severin Fiala and Veronica France initially wowed festival audiences in 2014 with the extremely dark Goodnight Mummy. Five years later, they followed up this feature with The Lodge. They did contribute to the Field Guide of Evil, but that was one segment of an anthology movie. So this is their feature film follow-up. Is it as grim as Goodnight Mummy? Well, we're going to get into that. And as we said before, there is a trigger warning on this episode. We are going to discuss suicide. If you don't want to listen to any of that stuff, that's quite all right with us. As Haley said earlier, go and listen to one of our lighter episodes and then we'll see you next week when we've got something equally as mind-bending, but much lighter. Absolutely. So we are still going to be exploring motherhood in this episode because obviously Goodnight Mommy, the title is self-explanatory. And obviously these filmmakers do like to get into this whole um, idea about fractured relationships with mothers. So that's what we're going to get into. Before we start our discussion, the one, the only, Nick Reganis is back with a top quality synopsis. So this is a great way to kick things off. Here we go. This is synopsis of The Lodge by Nick Reganis. In the wake of an appalling tragedy, the emotionally scarred siblings, Aidan and Mia, find themselves stuck with their dad's new girlfriend, Grace, for the Christmas holidays. Holed up in their family's remote lakeside cabin somewhere in the snow-capped wilderness of Massachusetts, they will soon get the chance to show their true feelings about Grace, when their journalist father, Richard, has to leave them in the care of their stepmother-to-be. But, before long, a relentless blizzard cuts them off from the outside world, Inexplicable hair-raising occurrences push everyone beyond their limits, triggering vivid hallucinations of traumatic, well-hidden past. Now, the inner demons demand more. Is there an escape from the lodge? Oh, I like that. That gave me goosebumps. That's a good synopsis, that. And doesn't really give away a lot, as Nick always does, always leaves things tantalisingly out of reach as to what exactly happens in the movie. I think it starts off with, did it, did it say a Pauline tragedy? 
yeah, there really mm. is an appalling tragedy at the start of this because in the first few minutes of the movie, we are introduced to the kid's mother, played by Alicia Silverstone. Now, I'd come to this movie completely cold. I knew the bare bones of the plot, but I did not know the triggering event that kicks off the visit to the lodge six months later. And it's a bit of a shocker, I have to say. You kind of know that it's coming because Alicia Silverstone, from the start, her character appears to be spiralling into depression. But there is a moment, not very far into the movie, where she arrives back home, realising that her husband is going to marry his new girlfriend and he wants a divorce. She walks into the house, she arranges the books neatly, she sits down, she pulls out a gun and blows the back of her head off. It's extremely short, it's extremely shocking. That was the point of the movie where I was like, the fuck? That was just... I mean, yes, you kind of know that she's going to do something bad, but you don't realise that it's going to be that sudden and just that awful to see on screen. And I think the point of that is it's setting you up for what might or might not happen in the rest of the movie. And it's quite skillful in the way that as soon as that happens, I was on edge for the rest of the film because I didn't really know what was going to happen. If they're going to pull that on you, maybe 10 minutes into the movie, what are they going to do for the rest of the time? It doesn't go to those places a lot in the rest of the movie, but you're already put on edge by that sequence. Also, Alicia Silverstone, in her limited screen time, absolutely brilliant. Very much against type, playing a very troubled mother figure a million miles from Cher in Clueless. Absolutely. This film definitely pulls the rug from underneath you quite early on. I was sat there stunned at that moment. And as you say, you can tell there is an unstableness about her character, but you're not quite sure where this is going to go. And the fact it happened so soon is very shocking. I completely agree with you there. And it makes you feel like, where's this movie going to go? Like, what what's going to happen next? And one thing I really liked about it is the build-up of introducing the character of Grace because there's all these references to her oh, is she going to be there? And then the dad is saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to marry her. And there's this kind of ambiguity about who is this woman and who is this woman who has destroyed this family and why has she done it? And you're very intrigued to see where it's going to go next. And then you've got the two children in this film, the siblings. It's very much their story. And you kind of are feeling, are they going to be put in peril because of this woman? But the film kind of turns the tables on the audience a little bit. And it's very clever in what it does. On the whole, I really did enjoy this film. I did get a lot out of it. But at the same time, I was left feeling like I wanted a bit more, just a bit more depth, a bit more dialogue, maybe, just to kind of establish things a bit more. Usually I don't really demand for exposition in films, but I think this one just needed that little bit more to keep me more invested. But the build-up and the atmosphere in this film. Technically, it's a Christmas film. We could have easily done this for Mary Bodmus, but didn't get there in time. I think this dropped on Netflix either just before Christmas or after. Here we are now talking about it anyway. The atmosphere of it, it's, it's very, very cold and eerie and icy, and it feels very heavy as well because you've got this snowy landscape and they're stranded in this lodge and 
you just feel like there's this sense of no escape and claustrophobia and I say that the heaviness because the weather is preventing them from escaping so I liked all that element to it I think we just needed to establish a bit more between father character and grace because it's kind of left a bit vague we know that he's a journalist and he's been looking into her background which is very interesting so we learn very early on from the kids investigation that she grew up as part of a, a cult a suicide cult and she was the sole survivor so obviously this is how dad has met her and been drawn into her but i think it would be interesting to explore a bit more of that because it's never fully discussed this film is about trauma you've got two sides of the coin where you've got grace who's been traumatized in her childhood and then these children that have gone through this inexplicable tragedy losing their mother it's just the wrong place and the wrong time and what's really interesting about this movie is you don't really know who the true villain of the piece is if it is anybody because it's basically a power struggle between the children and stepmother and you're left feeling like okay who has been the bad guy in this all along because the children do things that is quite surprising you're thinking the children will be the innocent, vulnerable ones. Technically, they're not. And I think, again, that's what makes this film very interesting in, in how it plays along. Definitely. Uh, shades of Goodnight, Mummy, and how the kids manipulate the adults in this movie. But it's left very much in the air for quite a lot of the movie. As you say, you don't know who the villain is. And there's a lot of background detail to try and throw you off the scent. It's loading character development up on both sides so you get a lot of information about the cult you get these flashback videos of what happened in the cult and you get details fed to you all along which kind of steer you in the direction that grace is going to do something bad but at the same time when the main plot twist kicks in about halfway through and then it appears as though the plot has moved on in time to January the 9th and Grace can't account for why she's lost all of this time and why the house is empty of possessions and why all these weird things are happening and why her dog has disappeared. We're going to come to the dog in a moment. It's exactly what you expect in this movie. It is featured on Does the Dog Die? Yes, the dog does, unfortunately. But back to Grace, she's quite a complex character. At the start, I think most audiences will think, well, she's broken up the marriage for some reason and they're going to latch onto her as the bad guy of the piece. But as everything progresses, the waters are really muddied and then, spoiler alert, all of these weird things happen. Grace can't explain any of them. The kids think that somehow they've all died and they're in some sort of purgatory to the point where they find a note where everybody's obituary is in a newsletter. So there's all these clues which point to the fact that somehow there's something happened in the house. Maybe the heater has put gas into the house. They've all died of carbon monoxide poisoning and that they're all struggling in some sort of purgatory. And it's how they get out of this, which is quite a clever middle section of the movie. But the huge spoiler is that... It's all the kids doing. They're gaslighting the stepmother. They've set all of this up to make her think that something else is going off and to almost kind of drive her to the brink of madness. It's stirring up all of these feelings that Grace has had about her 
time in the cult. She's having nightmares about it. And it's pushing her closer and closer to the edge. The fact that Grace's dog is found frozen to death. Which, yes, I can accept it as part of the plot. It's not as gratuitous as some of the other pet death tropes in movies. But as soon as Grace says about the dog, she takes it to the lodge and she said, this was a present to myself. As soon as she said that line, I thought, that dog is going to die. And it does. So there's all of this stuff piled on and Grace is going through this psychological trauma and she gets pushed to the edge. But what this thing does is that at the point where she's about to break, the movie doesn't actually finish with her breaking and the kids being revealed to be the villains. Something else happens. Grace does break. The kids realise that she's about to break, try to atone for what they've done, and then the movie heads off in a totally different direction, a very grim one. And I absolutely loved the last act of this movie because I was thinking, surely they are not going to go here with this movie. And they do. And it's to their credit. It's not gratuitous. It's not gory. It's not violent. It is just so fucking dark, the end of this movie. Highly disturbing, definitely. And I'd heard rumblings about this from different people and just things online. I mean, as as the same as you, Darren, I went into this as cold as I could. I knew Alicia Silverstone was going to be in it. And that was like, oh, it's great. I'm looking forward to seeing her in it. Didn't realise how short that screen time was going to be at all. But I'd heard there were disturbing elements to it involving children as well. So I was a little bit unsure how I was going to approach this, whether I would be able to cope with watching this. But as you say, there's nothing gratuitous in this. It is just the whole disturbing psychological element. That's where it gets you. And I was completely fine seeing this. I mean, everyone has different limits when it comes to films. So if you feel this is something that would completely unsettle you, disturb you, maybe steer away. But if you feel that this is something that you can handle, go and check it out. I mean, I'm hoping that you've actually watched the film before listening to us spoil the whole thing <laughs> anyway, but that's just kind of my thoughts on that there. The trope was in it. I was aware that trope was going to happen. I didn't know how or why, but we like to prepare ourselves on this podcast for does the dog or any other pet die? It's kind of like you're waiting for it for a while as well. It really does prolong the tension of where is the dog and what are we going to see of the dog? And then there's also a scene where she is on the brink of mental fragility and she's obviously grieving for the dog and we see her burning the dog in the fire and that's pretty disturbing. And then that never actually happened. So it really does play with the audience's mind as well. It, it's one that like you're never sure what's real, what's not. And I think that's what, what the film's strength is. And as you say, they have destroyed this woman to such a desperate point and they cannot pull it back. And that's what's really, really damaging about it. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, yeah. He kind of sat there reeling at the end. And the ending is rather abrupt. It doesn't leave you with much. And I think that's what I was trying to say, that I just wanted a little bit more from it. I just need a little bit more depth. But thinking about it now, it is one where you're kind of left in limbo at the end, thinking, oh, shit, what's actually going to happen? And you don't know whether that there will be some sort of salvation or if this is basically 
one of the grimmest endings to a film in recent years. And talking of recent years, this is actually a 2019 movie and it has just dropped on Netflix in the UK. It played Fright Fest back in 2019 and we do know people that have actually seen this ahead of the game. But it kind of disappeared for quite a while and whether that was to do with COVID or we don't know a lot about the distribution. We've tried to investigate this a little bit, but there's not really been much out there as to why this film has had such a delayed release in the UK. Yeah, certainly it played Sundance and then they were going to release it in the US shortly after Sundance and then it got postponed and then released slightly later in the US and then had a slightly wider release. But as far as the UK was concerned, I mean, we're talking about early 2020 and the US release was kind of done and dusted by the time that COVID hit the UK. But normally, I think they'd have been looking for UK distribution about the time COVID hit. And COVID hit for quite a long time and the cinemas closed and there wasn't a lot going off in terms of releases. And then they opened again for a little bit and then they closed again and then they opened again and then they closed again. And so there was all this going on. And I think, unfortunately, this just got lost in the shuffle. And eventually, they probably just thought, you know what, this is too late now, the time's gone, and we're just going to have to put it out somewhere else. But it hasn't really showed up a lot at all in the UK. I think it may have got a disc release, I'm not sure. I saw it on Sky Cinema. It was on Sky Cinema a few months ago. So I got it from there, but now it's on Netflix. But considering the word of mouth that this film got and the fact that festival audiences took to it quite a lot it is a bit of a shame that this just kind of vanished over here and is only really getting some recognition now it's getting a lot of recognition because people that normally drift into horror movies on netflix think oh yeah 90 minutes of a good time few jump scares some people getting chased around a house. This is a completely different prospect. People that come to this sort of movie who are only into normal multiplex mainstream horror, and there's nothing wrong with being into normal multiplex mainstream horror, that is a good place to be. But if you're used to going to cinemas and seeing teens chased around in a movie that has, you know, a little bit of gore and a couple of jump scares, and then at the end, everything's all right, villain's dead, maybe there's a bit of an open ending for the next one, they might be setting up a franchise. But that sort of thing isn't where The Lodge pitches itself. And I can see a lot of people coming to this and thinking, oh, it's going to be kind of a ghost story. Well, it kind of is, but there's a lot more going on than that. And the ending is basically going to wreck the evenings of quite a lot of people who have seen this. But for people like us, who like this kind of horror movie and like this kind of darkness, it's nice to see something like this turn up on a platform like Netflix, where people are just expecting one thing and are given something completely different. What it does have is great performances. If you don't like the darkness and you don't like the ending and you don't like the way it goes, there's still really good performances in this. Specifically, Riley Keough, who is Grace the cult survivor she turns from one presence to another presence to another presence across the course of the movie and is convincing in every single part of her character that she plays at the end when she completely loses it and she reverts back to her cult self and is obsessed with repentance 
even if it means destroying everybody about her. She is extremely chilling and extremely convincing, but at the same time, still sympathetic because she's gone through all of this psychological torture. And I know that the ending is particularly dark if you don't want people to die at the end of it. There is an assumption that pretty much everybody is going to end up dead at the end of this movie. But there's also a little bit of me, and it's a terrible thing to think, but it does drive you that way. The kids have set all of this up, and it's all coming back to bite them on the arse. And in that final sequence, where they're all sitting at the dining table and something dreadful is about to happen, a little bit of me just thought, you know what, that kind of serves you right. Very much the boy who cried wolf in a lot of ways, I think, that element of it. And you've also got Jaden Martell in it, who is best known for playing Bill in It, and he looks exactly the same as he did in It. I believe The Lodge was shot in 2018, so he hasn't aged much in this, and I think he's like pushing more towards his 20s now. So so if you'd be forgiven to think that this is a recent film, but he looks exactly the same, and being confused about the passage of time, because COVID's done that to all of us. But yeah, very, very strong performance from a young actor. I mean, he'd already proven himself in it, I feel. This is no exception. And then you've got Leah McHugh, who plays his younger sister, Mia. She delivers a terrific performance for a young actress. The scene where she's grieving for her mother. I feel like choked up talking about it. There's a scene, like, not long after the mother's funeral where she's in absolute pieces in her bed, crying and, and saying that she's scared her mum won't go to heaven because, obviously, the way she died and that's quite a powerful scene and then her brother comes in and just lies on the floor next to her holding her hands I thought that moment was incredibly powerful and it really showcases the bond that the siblings have between them and then obviously that sets up for the events to come so yeah this film is is unrelenting I mean it you know it starts off with a really shocking scene and there's no kind of hopefulness in this film at all as you say it is very very bleak and not for the faint-hearted but it's really interesting. And the film that it reminded me of in certain ways, it definitely gave me hereditary vibes. And I say this just based on aesthetic because you have this dollhouse. It's quite a prominent element in the film. And you get a lot of foreshadowing with that dollhouse where they've got dolls made up of all the characters. And the doll of the mother, the little girl always takes everywhere with her as well. There's that kind of sense in it that there is something supernatural going on as well and I, I just really like that that it, it makes you think oh we're, we're getting a ghost story and then we're really not we're just getting a complete human story and I think that's scarier than anything supernatural in a psychological sense the ghost of the mother is still very much present because the children obviously are never going to let her go and Grace is haunted by the idea of her I think in the lodge as well they've got all these really strong religious elements and that adds an element of creepiness to it as well. So its strength is its atmosphere and the performances. I really did like this film, but I just wanted a bit more, I think, as I say, exposition. And I know that's probably a weird thing to say because you should leave more up to your imagination. But I just think I wanted a bit more conversation. But I think that's the whole thing. The whole breakdown in communication between these characters is what sets these events rolling. So again, maybe I'm just being slightly nitpicky, but understanding what the film actually wanted to convey yeah and i think it does go out of its way to not confuse the audience but to give them just enough information that they can make a whole set of inferences about it but not enough information to know exactly what's going on and having pulled the rug out from under you 
with the suicide of the Alicia Silverstone character, then they go to pull the rug from under you at several points along the movie. Yeah, they cheat a little bit, I think, because there are certain things that they don't tell you and it's more of a surprise because you're not given quite enough information to work out what's going on. But again, that is nitpicky because what does pull this movie through is the sense of dread and the atmosphere and the cinematography is great because it's bleak and dark and it matches the tone of the movie. As we've said, performances are absolutely fantastic. And it does have Chekhov's gun in it as well. You know, the Chekhov's gun rule where Chekhov said that uh, if you have a rifle on the wall in the first act, then somebody has to use it in the second or third act. There is a literal gun in this movie. And as soon as you're shown this gun and there's a bit of a demonstration about who's going to fire it, you kind of think if nobody uses this gun in the third act, that's going to be either a massive bit of misdirection or something that you're led down the path of during the plot won't really say where the gun comes into play it does eventually because you kind of know that something bad's going to happen and that's probably the only predictable thing I thought about this movie because there's a point at which where there is a gun being waved about and I was just thinking I can pretty much predict where this gun is going to go off and it went off at exactly the point that I expected it to but that isn't to take away from the rest of the movie because this movie had one predictable moment in like 108 minutes. For people who like slow burn horror movies with decent character development and atmosphere over jump scares, which is basically me. Yes, you could have put a couple of jump scares in. Wouldn't have made any difference to this movie. It's reliant on building up tension and atmosphere and having things jump out of wardrobes and having dream sequences where somebody gets killed and then wakes up and they're not dead. That would have cheapened this movie for me. It doesn't need any of that sort of stuff. Very much like Goodnight Mommy. Goodnight Mommy based a lot of its scares on the atmosphere and the general dread. It doesn't have a audience sickening moment like Goodnight Mommy does which I'm absolutely fine with. I do remember seeing Goodnight Mommy at Celluloid Screams, and there is a sequence in Goodnight Mommy involving superglue, which is absolutely disgusting. The removal of this particular glue is done via a process where you see how they're going to remove the glue, and then there was kind of a, a silence in the audience. Now, if you're going to get a horror movie audience go silent, you know something bad's going to happen. And then there was a huge groan that went across the audience when they actually removed the glue. I'm just priming you for if you see Goodnight Mommy. It's a really effective moment, but it's absolutely disgusting. And I still remember it now. You don't get a moment of that impact in the lodge. But again, doesn't need one because it's building up steadily to this reveal at the end. And what a reveal it is. Fantastic. I really did like this movie. It's not for everybody. I think people might get put off by the lack of action in it, and it does feature character over carnage, because you're not going to get people getting chopped to bits every 10 minutes, because that's not what this movie does. However, for anybody that's a bit more patient, and likes a bit more quality in their horror, and is willing to go along with the very strange stuff that happens in this movie then I think it's well worth seeing. And 
I'm quite glad that Netflix have picked this up, to be perfectly honest, because say what you like about Netflix, but it's not really their sort of movie, The Lodge. With the sort of stuff that's on Netflix, especially in their horror section, this is going to stand out for any number of reasons. But I'm glad it's there, and I'm glad people are going to get an opportunity to see this, because I think it's a rather fine movie, and it's from two directors who know what they're doing, and know how horror should work, and have presented it in a very low-key but quite disturbing way. Definitely. Full agreement with all of that. Yeah, and it's gaining some traction because people are talking about it in work. Have you seen The Lodge? Which is it's just great. And we've had the same response with Saltburn as well. So people are actually approaching these more challenging movies, and I'm really loving that. And very much like we said about Saltburn, this is another film that leaves a lot up to the audience to decide. It, it doesn't completely spoon-feed you, so you're kind of left deciding who you think was to blame. I've been reading on the Reddit threads, as I do, big fan of Reddit, just can't get enough of Reddit. Someone even pointed out on there that is the dad technically the villain of the piece because he's the one who's set all these events in motion by leaving his wife for somebody else and then putting his new partner in a really difficult position, not taking his kids' feelings into account. There's very much a coldness to his character as well. And I mean, we talk about does the dog die.com or does the dad die.com. There needs to be a website for this. But spoiler alert, yes, he does. And that was the predictable moment. And I was kind of in two minds about it. Did I want him to die or not? Or did I want something more from that? Because I think it was an easy get out just to get rid of his character. But I suppose it alleviates the children with no protection whatsoever. And that's how we get onto our dark ending. So I do get it, even though that moment is highly predictable but yeah no I'm I'm really pleased that I had the chance to see it it had been on my radar since Celluloid Screams 2019 I recall discussing it with people um recommending it who'd seen it at Fright Fest and I think we were having a conversation speculating what the secret film was going to be at that year and that film came up and when I looked it up I was like oh I'm really wanting to see this so it's always been on my radar so I'm pleased that Netflix finally released it so on IMDb, it has a 6 out of 10 over to Rotten Tomatoes. It's actually got some decent scores, a 75% tomato meter and um, 51% audience score. So it's interesting that this one's more of a critic darling than audience favourite. I have spoken to some people who were not as on board with it, but I think that's the thing. It's all the ambiguity of it. You either have to roll with that and accept it for this dark psychological piece that it is that's going to make you think. But if you're wanting something, as you said, that's a little bit more paint-by-numbers and jump-scary and supernatural, it's not that kind of movie. So very much like you, I'm, I'm really glad that I've had the chance to see this. And it's one that I don't know if I'd ever repeat watch, but I think it is one that you should just see once without any spoilers. So as I say, hopefully you've watched this, then come to the episode. Yeah, because otherwise we've just blown the end of the movie for you. I mean, we do say at the start there could be spoilers. So we're not saying, oh, by the way, come and listen to our discussion about this movie. Oh, by the way, we've just blown the ending for you. You know, you do go in expecting us to talk about this, including the ending. I do think that it is more of a critics movie. And that's not to cast any shade on the audience at all. But I think critics are going to like this because they're going to hook into the character development and they're going to hook into the ambiguity, as you say. This is the sort of movie that critics can discuss afterwards. It's like, who did this? Where did this happen? How did this get triggered? And for some audiences, 
that isn't what they want to go in to see a horror movie for. They just want to have a roller coaster ride. They want to have a couple of jump scares. They want to have a bit of a laugh. And then they want to forget it at the end. This is a movie that you're not going to forget at the end of it because of how dark it is when the credits roll. And I get that some audiences are going to come in expecting one thing and they're going to be given another and they're going to be disappointed. And that's absolutely fine. Whereas the critics are going to think, oh, yes, this is slightly more cerebral. This is slightly more elevated. Hate that fucking term, elevated horror. It doesn't count. You said it. Yeah, exactly. I've said it, elevated horror. What a bunch of bullshit that is. It's just so it's just so critics can feel good about actually liking a movie that's like one of those dirty horror movies. So like, oh, no, no, we're not going into the slasher movies. This is elevated horror. This is something that it's not for everybody. It's something that smart people can like. Fuck off, elevated horror. It's a shit term. I hate it. But I also do get why critics like this. Because it's the sort of movie that they can wax lyrical about. They can talk about the subtext, that sort of thing. Nothing wrong with that. And there's also nothing wrong with audiences expecting something a bit more mainstream, being disappointed and saying, you know what, didn't like that. As far as I'm concerned, I did like it. It's great. I might watch it again just to see if I can spot some of the clues. But I think that's the only reason I would watch it again. Because I think the impact of it is all to do with the first watch, especially the final act, where you're just left thinking, what the fuck, at the end of it. And you don't get that impact on a second watch. So the only reason I'd go back to it is, did they sort of lay any groundwork for anything further in the movie? Which I suspect they may have done, they may not have. I was just wrapped up in the atmosphere the first time, thinking, like, what's going on? It's probably not a big repeat watch movie, this, but there's no actual problem with it not being because on the watch that I did have of this, then I was particularly satisfied. I thought it was a great movie. And yes, I think the ending is something that is to be discussed afterwards because you need a little bit of levity. You need a little bit of psychological self-care at the end of this movie because you're just left thinking, oh my God. They didn't finish it there, did they? Great ending. I'm so glad they ended it where they did. The thing about the ending is that they could have pushed it a little bit further, had it run a few more seconds. And I don't think it would have had so much impact because if you're showing what's going to happen and then cutting away, then that kind of makes it even worse in your mind as to what's going to happen next. If they actually go a few seconds on and they show something that's happening that you know, it's on screen, yes, it would have been disturbing, but at the same time you would have thought, well, yeah, it's disturbing, but I was thinking something far worse that there was to come. Now, that depends on the psychological mindset of who was watching it. After God knows how many years of watching horror films, my mind is probably thinking about something dreadful that's going to happen next. Probably more dreadful than your average film fan. But I'm particularly glad that it ended where it did. It just left it with enough information that you think, yeah, everybody's fucked, but you just don't know how fucked. And it just leaves it there. It's like, right, you can make your own mind up about what happens next, which for some people, that's not good. Some people want to be shown what's happening next. And I get that completely. Whereas with me, it's like, oh, you bastards. You've just stopped it there. But I like the feeling of, oh, you bastards at the end of the movie. Not everybody does. 
I think it is best it's left up to the imagination because I think it would have lost its impact if you actually see the acts that occur. And it leaves enough because you've kind of seen what happened with the cult. So it completely leaves it at the right place. The more I've had time to reflect now, I'm kind of like, oh, this movie was actually pretty clever and I, I really did get more out of it than I actually thought I did. So that is a huge positive. And for me, it's sort of who's someone who's been watching horror movies for most of my life and I love them to death. But sometimes the genre can get overly predictable. As much as I love horror, I can say that. And this just offered something a little bit different for me where I like movies where you've got more of the character development in place and the horror is then kind of developed through that rather than you just having one-dimensional characters that are getting bumped off and there's no real plot. Still looking at you, Terrifier. (laughs) (laughs) That is why I really got a lot more out of this. But that's not to say I still love slasher movies and I will watch any slasher movie that comes our way. So there we have it. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 123 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you'd like to seek us out on social media, you can find us on X and Instagram. We're still not on Facebook. Um, we haven't resurrected ourselves yet. So we're on X and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Next episode. It is a leap year. And as our next episode will be coming out on the 29th of February, we thought it would be a great opportunity to cover 2010's leap year. Wait a second, Darren. There are two movies from 2010 called Leap Year. Are we doing the Mexican movie, which has keywords of shaved vagina on IMDb? Or are we doing the Amy Adams rom-com? Just so I can make sure I watch the right film, you know? Well, clearly, we are going to be doing the shaved vagina movie on this podcast. No, we're not. We're going to be doing the Amy Adams, Matthew Good rom-com. We are not going to be exposing ourselves to the world of shaved vaginas it's going to be PG-rated rom-coms rather than non-PG-rated Mexican-related shaved vaginas. It's rom-com stuff, not vaginas. And believe it or not, Darren has already watched this movie because, of course, he has. It's a first-time watch for me. I've not heard the best things about it, but I'll reserve my judgment for the film itself. And at least I can avoid the Shaved Vaginas Mexican film. But if anybody wants to go and watch that film and, and let us know, you know, you do you. Absolutely. If you want us to cover the Shaved Vagina movie in the future, then by all means suggest it to us. I'm not saying we will cover it. I certainly have not seen the Shaved Vagina movie. <laughs> I have no desire to see it at the moment either. So next time, Amy Adams, Matthew Good, rom-com, not the Shaved Vagina movie. So until then... Stay safe, everybody. Don't ask us to cover the Shared Vagina movie, and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes, and Podbean.